0: to the glow show from grow lab organics hosted by Charlie Lyons
1: well, what's up people how's it all going uh, I hope you are looking after each other out there welcome to another week of the show it's time to settle in for another journey into the power of cannabis as many of you know the first half of this season has really focused on lots of the North American brands and companies that are you know changing the game in the cannabis space and last week, we switch gears. We move the lens from North America across the Atlantic to UK, Britain, Europe with Anush Desai. And we're staying with that focus this week as we start to look at the state of the nation over here when it comes to medicinal cannabis and the ongoing challenge of uh, increasing access to patients and reducing harm and many of the other challenges that we face here. We've had a legal medicinal market for over three and a half years now, and if you ask most of the people that are involved in the cannabis industry, they will all universally probably say it's moving too slowly. The quality of the product is not good enough. Um, We need to see a a bigger shift in the way things are going. We've only had three prescriptions on the NHS. It's just not good enough at all. There's been countless papers written, and there is a continual amount of uh, effort from Patients and other communities and advocates to lobby government and push for greater change, greater access, greater harm reduction to move the needle. But it's not really happening in a uh, a kind of a dynamic and fast enough way for people that need this plant as medicine. Yeah, there is a lot of growth in the private side of things, but even with north of ten thousand prescriptions or so now, it's not addressing some of the core issues. It's still expensive. The price is high. The quality is. Inconsistent to not good enough. And a lot of the businesses that are coming through and bringing money into the industry don't necessarily have the best interests of the patients at heart, despite what they may say. So this week, we're going to really dig into this and start to see what's working and what's not working in the UK at the moment. And with me on the show this week are going to be two of the most important people in UK cannabis. They are Professor Mike Barnes and Hannah Deacon. Uh, They're going to be forever linked. As back in 2018, Mike, uh, Professor Barnes, he was the first UK doctor to successfully negotiate a medical cannabis prescription from the government. And that prescription was for Alfie Dingle, who was Hannah's son. And this is obviously a very famous and well-worn story. Uh, Hannah has been a long-term campaigner for improving access to medicinal cannabis for patients, especially parents. You know, there's a lot of difficulties that Uh, people face when they have got children that want to uh, engage with cannabis as a medicine and they both together run the maple tree consultancy and uh, not too long ago they delivered a paper to downing street which was entitled 10 recommendations for government which really focused on the uk medical uh, cannabis and cbd markets they're involved in loads of other things you know i'm sure we'll get into that as we dig into the discussion but without further ado let's get going I feel that um, both of you are so well known to everyone in uh, the industry that this might be a waste of time. But if you want to just give a little introduction for both of you, um, and then maybe if we just do a quick proudest moment in your cannabis journey so far, and you can kind of tie it all into the same uh, kind of opening gambit. And uh, Hannah, should we go with you first?
2: Yeah, sure. I call myself an accidental campaigner. That's how I came to the cannabis sector. So I campaigned for my son to receive cannabis on the NHS in and we've achieved that in June 18. And I now run Maple Tree Consultants with Mike, and I'm also director of the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society and also a founding member of Medcan Support, which is a support group for families like mine.
0: I'm an accidental cannabis doctor. <laughs> and, uh...
2: These happy accidents are brilliant, right?
0: (laughs) Not an accidental doctor. Some would say that as well. That would be more Um,
1: concerning, Michael. That will be more concerning.
0: (laughs) It's all a con. And uh, I'm a neurologist, basically, by background, and worked in cannabis for 20-odd years, and then helped, uh, as um, listeners probably know, Hannah to get the first um, license in the country for a San Alfie, set up the Medical Cannabis Collision Society with Hannah, who now runs it as the executive director with others. Then a more recently set up the cannabis industry council, which is 103, I think it is uh, trade uh, organisations. Anyone involved in the cannabis sector to act as a voice for the cannabis sector. And with Hannah, I run Maple Tree Consultancy, which has a whole range of clients from those who want to bring products into the country to those who want to grow it in the country, to set up clinics, to set up dispensaries, teaching, training, etc. So it's a it's a varied um, it's a varied life at the moment, which is fun. Yeah, well, coming to your uh, Comment about the proudest moment. I'll jump in before Hannah, because I think my proudest moment was actually getting the license for Alfie, uh, which was the first ever license in the country, yeah. and that was a you know that was a really it was a historical moment, and uh, you know it's one I look back on with um, pride and with great pleasure for Alfie, of course, and Hannah and our family, because I think it's changed their lives. But I mm. sat there, so I'm not going to say any more about that.
2: I'll echo that. I sometimes look back and think I can't believe the journey that me and my family have been on. And we were very lucky to work with Endar Payne from February 18 um, to help us run a very effective media and government lobbying campaign. And I think uh, the day that Alfie got his licence, which was the 90th, well, the doctors got the licence to prescribe for Alfie, was the 19th of June 2018. And I'd done some media that morning to try and push um this over the line because the home we'd had a meeting with the home office the week before and they were very, very nervous about giving a permanent license to someone. And actually Nick Hurd phoned me um before to tell me that before it was going to be announced that Alfie would get licensed. And he said, I'm sorry it's taken so long, but today you and I have changed history and that will live with me forever and still makes me feel very emotional. And my little boys very happy and very well because of some amazing people in government amazing lobbyists I work with Our Pain, particularly mm. Mike who stood up and didn't worry about what anyone thought and did the right thing and you know I'm very very proud to have been mm. part of that it's, mm. uh, and and knowing that it's hopefully in time going to help many many millions of people I hope.
1: Yeah I mean obviously I've known both of you for a while now and I hear that story from from you guys a lot, and I still get emotional. And I was actually listening to a podcast with you, Mike, the other day with David Nutt, and you know, where he called you affectionately the Godfather of UK cannabis, which was quite a funny moment. But it is it's true yeah. what he says following that. Well, sorry, story. That's
0: appropriate, really. Godfather. I know. Yeah, it sounds dodgy, doesn't it? it. <laughs> yeah, Chicago Mafia, or
1: something. I know. You said he wake up with yeah, yeah. his head in yeah. the bed. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. but what he does say following that comedic point is time will probably points to how significant the work that that moment was and what both of you have done uh, since then and continue to do. So uh, it is pretty incredible, obviously, a, a very emotional moment and story. But what comes next is is the really important and exciting stuff as well. And we still have a, a lot of work to do, the three of we us do. and everyone else that's in yeah. this industry as it forms. Yeah, it's, it is an amazing, amazing moment. So, you know, kudos to both of you. Mike, I wondered if from here you wouldn't mind sort of just giving us a summary of, of where you feel the UK is at the moment with cannabis. Obviously, we've had a legal medicinal industry for well over three, three and a half years now. We've got a great legacy market. Where are we? What's going on?
0: Well, that's a good question. In, let's look at the positive side first. The positive side is is that we're now prescribing Cannabis for recreational, uh, not recreational. Let's start again. <laughs> <Take> <laughs> that for, half man. No, no. <laughs> Let that slip out. And so uh, we're, we're prescribing for medical purposes now, which is great. And there's now, best guess, about fifteen thousand people prescribed in this country mm. legally. And you know that's over three years. Three years ago there were none. So that's real progress. We've now got a good choice of product in the country. About eighteen producers come in with over 100 products We've got about 100 doctors actually prescribing there's a but coming as as you might imagine evidently the, the but is that it's not good enough and it's not fast enough yeah because if you look at uh, the standard figure quoted is about 1.4 million people in the country who use cannabis for medical not recreational purposes um every day add to that those that um, would benefit from it, but don't want to criminalize themselves. I think conservatively, you're looking at 2 million people. And we've crept up over three years to 15,000. Um, you know, So it's not good enough. Um, it's not good enough uh, because it's not prescribed by the NHS, and people are struggling to fund it privately. It's not covered by insurance. And some people are really suffering to get medicine, particularly the, the families with children. They're, they're really struggling to raise the money you need for the medicine for the children because it it happens to be more expensive than that for adults, ironically. Yeah, we've started. Yes, we've come a long way. Have we come far enough? By no means. There's a lot of work to do on the government, which we'll come to no doubt in a moment, yep. and on mainly on my medical colleagues, who are, most of them, not the hundred who are prescribing, and, and great credit to those people who've stood aside and stood up amongst a lot of criticism from their colleagues, some of them, to prescribe, but we're hampered by the idiocy of um, some of my other colleagues.
1: Yeah. Hannah, I just wanted to come to you just to to build a little bit on, on Mike's setup there. You know, you're doing an incredible amount of work helping improve access to cannabis as a medicine, supporting families, specifically focused around some sort of children. Can you just give your view on, on where we are on some of that side? Are we being listened to? What's the action that's being taken um, around that space? And then I'll, I'll probably come back to Mike to maybe talk about the influx of the sort of new products and all the rest of it.
2: I think what I find really upsetting and really difficult is that the reason the law changed was because of children, because of families like me, uh, my family who worked hard to campaign uh, and get access. And we now have three whole plant cannabis prescriptions on the NHS for three children, one being Alfie as mike said there's 15000 adults are pretty much being prescribed through the private sector and there's around 90 children but it's really really difficult at the moment even in the private sector because we've had we've got one pediatric neurologist that isn't prescribing anymore we've got one paediatric uh, one paediatric consultant who, who has also shut his books, who was actually reported to the GMC by the BPNA. Luckily, that was chucked out by the GMC. And they actually, the expert witness actually said that they felt the BPNA's guidance was damaging to children, which I'm sure they didn't want to happen. But that's caused a lot of problems, even access privately. And I think it's very disingenuous for the government to say when challenged on this we changed the law and now it's up to doctors to prescribe that simply is not the case um access um, to funding is not clear a trust could could fund the product but because it's unlicensed it would mean if a doctor prescribed it they would be taking the responsibility on their shoulders and trusts just simply will not allow a doctor to do that because they don't understand cannabis and because they're terrified of litigation. If you got your GP to prescribe under direction and and try to secure funding through your CCG, you have to prove what's called exceptionality. Uh, And a lot of these children either are not diagnosed, or they have a condition like Dravet syndrome, which isn't exceptional so it's not available on the NHS, so the government are not telling the truth when they say that and and the fact that they're asking for trials I think is just kicking the ball down the road. I don't think they're actively wanting to help these children and and that really is very concerning, but we do as you've said we continue to work hard with colleagues you know with within parliament within Mm. you know parties and their colleagues there are a lot of support from MPs who want to see a change um, and they're working hard still on trying to make things better but it is going to be a long road sadly and I I think it's really sad that the children the ones that the ones that change the law are not benefiting.
1: You touched on there on, on, on trust and Mike, you mentioned your kind of esteemed colleagues? Some of them are obviously leading the charge in prescribing, and others are re- sort of coming against that. And Hannah, we've spoken before about the, it's the BPA, isn't it, that have sort of resisted? BPA, yeah. yeah, BPA. They've sort of resisted or made life difficult for some doctors that want to prescribe, which I think is pretty disgusting, really. What What, what do you think it's going to take? Is, do we need to look at places like Australia, where where they're a couple of years ahead, and we've seen a tipping point where suddenly the kind of industry just takes a life of its own and they get past this difficult, slow-moving bit, or is it something else we're going to just be kind of having to keep fighting and it's going to take longer? What's what's your thoughts there? Maybe, Mike, for you on that one.
0: Yeah, well, the classic prescription pattern is virtually nothing in the first year, 18 months after the laws change because the infrastructure's not there, the doctor's training isn't there, etc. Then it begins to pick up over years two, three, then the other jurisdictions that we can draw parallels with, uh, it takes off about year three, year four. I think the British establishment, medical establishment, is more conservative than most of the rest of the world, and I think that will be the same curve. But it'll be a curve put on a slightly longer time frame. Of, I think it will take off eventually, perhaps year four or five. It will take off, even if you look at that slow creeping growth. And let's think about that: fifteen thousand people, maybe. Twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 by the end of this year, maybe sixty, seventy thousand 70,000 by the end of next year. All those people, well, not all of them, but the great majority are going to benefit from cannabis, probably 80%. They're going to go back to their friends and their family and their doctors and their GPs and their specialists and say, "Now you didn't want me to prescribe this, but look, it's done me a lot of good. And I think eventually, drip, 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 those people will be the advocates for cannabis. And eventually, we're going to get just a few more doctors saying, oh, okay, I was skeptical at first. I'll give it a go. And then, of course, if you've got one doctor on NHS prescribing, just one, just one doctor on NHS prescribing, then the guy in the next consulting room or the guy in the hospital down the road will think, okay, well, dear old Joe's doing it. Perhaps I should. Or the patients will come in and say, if I live down the road and I went to this other hospital, I could get cannabis. Why can't you do it? And I think mm. slowly but surely it will creep into the system. Yeah. There will be some people who are kicking and screaming and will never say yes to this because it's, you know, it's dreadful stuff. It's a, uh, it, it's, you know, it's just for hippies and it's no good and it's going to kill you and you're going to go psychotic in the streets. There are those idiots about. Mm. But I think most people just need persuasion and that persuasion will come, but it will come slowly. It will come over, but it will come over time. It's here to stay. Of that, there is absolutely no doubt. Yeah,
2: I think you know, what's difficult, just to add to that, sorry, is that this is not a classic pharmaceutical. People have said this to me before. Oh, well, there's not patient groups for steroids or or heart medication and you know this is a patient-led movement this is not you know normally with pharmaceuticals a doctor is trained in how to apply that pharmaceutical to a symptom this is a very different way you know we can produce pharmaceutical grade cannabis products but at the end of the day it is a botanical medicine it is not a pharmaceutical in, in the normal sense it's not a single compound synthetic product and you know, therefore patients have led this movement and they will continue to lead this movement. And I think Mike's right. Doctors will start to prescribe, but I think doctors feel uncomfortable because it's a patient led movement. They don't like that. It doesn't feel normal to them. And I think that's why it's going to take longer.
1: Yeah. I guess we don't, you don't really need a critical mass of doctor. You just need a critical mass of patient really, because the the patients will find the doctors. Right. And so that's what we have to keep working towards Mike, you, you just, I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned in your sort of opening piece. There is more product on. We've spoken a lot before about the quality wasn't necessarily there. The choice wasn't there. The price is wrong. Is that changing, improving? Do you see you know, adjustments there?
0: Oh, yes, a little bit. And We've had real supply chain issues, partly out of the control of the industry. Brexit didn't help. Uh, initially, COVID certainly didn't help um so yeah and there still are supply chain issues some of the bigger pharmacies now have close to 50 percent of their stocks out of stock the mhra hasn't helped that by clamping down uh, to make it more difficult to import product some would say with justification because we want good quality product in the country of course we do so yeah but overall the last few months i see a better slightly better supply chain the cost is is coming down i think actually this may be a strange thing to say, but I think there's been a bit of a, too much of a drive to the bottom. Because I think, yeah. and it's a bit anecdotal, but the, the lower the price, and we're now getting £5 a gram on, say, the T21 project, and that doesn't necessarily mean good quality product. In fact, I go so far to say it doesn't mean good quality
1: product. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people went back to yeah. the street for one of a better
0: Well I, Ironically, yeah, the, the people say that the street products can be, they can be rubbish. You don't know what's in them and all that problems, but they do say that overall the quality in the street is still better than the quality in the clinics, even though the clinic price, ironically, is now generally less than the street price. Mm. You know, five, six pounds a gram in the clinics average, average about seven pounds a gram, actually. Just average street price is about nine pounds a gram at the yeah. moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think this comes from a new emerging market though. The problem is, is the MHRA are trying to catch up. And what they should have done is took this seriously at the beginning and created guidance on what imports should be, i.e. EU GMP, what their testing would look like, what they expected, i.e. batch testing for every product, that sort of thing. Mm. They're now play- they're now playing catch up because they didn't do that, and they've been bitten on the bum by allowing product in that's not been good quality. And I think that's what's sad, but I think it's also the nature of the beast when you have a new emerging market. When it's a special as well at the moment, for example, the MHRA only requires seeing CBD and THC content. I don't agree with that. If you're going to be giving a product to an ill person, you need to know what's in it. Like any other medication, you need to know exactly what's in it. You need to know, for example, with a bottle of oil for a child with epilepsy, you need to know what the carrier oil is and what the minor cannabinoids and terpenes are. That isn't legally required, so it doesn't happen. And I think, again, the standards at the moment within the sector are not good enough. I hope that that will change with time, but I feel that's been that's what's been sad about the private sector has been the cost, and that has come down. But it's also been the fact that corners have been cut to the detriment of patients, and that's something that I really don't like to see. Because obviously, being a patient advocate, that's the the one person that you should be making happy with the business processes that you are performing within the sector is your patient, Mm. because that's how you grow your business. And I feel that that's been overlooked many times with decisions that have been made by some companies sadly
1: totally echo and agree with all of that the more information you can display on the product and it's not just for medicine it's like anything you'd put in your body alcohol food. you know you name it it's just stuff you you consume to get an effect medicine just happens to be one of those and you want as much information and data data rich product as possible so that you know what you're ingesting that's just
2: but uh, i think the problem because mhra don't require that then companies aren't putting that forward and actually what we need to do until the mhra catch up is self-regulate so the businesses within the sector need to be self-regulating and saying what is best practice how do we met how does that look how can we serve patients the best and i think that's starting to happen now but it didn't happen at the beginning
1: yeah and it's, it's interesting even if you can go on instagram and see some of the product that is coming from uh, legacy market they've got batch testing they've got qr codes with data on their strains and products so it's kind of weird isn't it that the legacy market is almost leading the way in in many ways and they're trying to play catch-up as you say so that's kind Mm -hmm. of fascinating i did want to kind of touch on that legacy industry the kind of really uh, passionate and empowered cannabis communities Uh, i i feel at the moment there is a big gap kind of emerging between sort of the people that have fought and worked really hard to build and shape this industry kind of in the shadows there's truckloads of money pouring into the industry in britain in europe in the world um and there does feel to be sort of almost like a disconnect between um you know the values and the shared beliefs of the the sort of legacy community and what where things are going what, what do you think about all of that how do you do you see do you see a gap do you think it's it needs addressing
0: mm. There is a gap, I think it's rather sad, because there's a great deal of expertise and knowledge in the in the legacy market. Uh, you know, most of the experts in this country have been illegal growers and dealers, sadly and ironically. Uh, but I think and that legacy market doesn't want to see capitalism, I suppose you could summarize it rather crudely, coming in and making a lot of money for the traditional people who make a lot of money. I think they have got to realize that to put this industry on a national footing with perhaps up to 2 million or more people, that is going to take a lot of capital injection. It's going to take big business coming in to make that work. And I think the legacy market need to realize that. Equally, I think the the, um, the, the capital markets, people coming in, need to acknowledge the expertise in the legacy industry, learn from that legacy industry, and basically work together. Because ultimately, everyone wants the same outcome. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm keeping off recreational cannabis here because it's a different debate, but everyone in the, in the medicinal prescribed prescription cannabis market wants the same outcome. They want it available to those that need it, preferably free on the National Health Service, mm-hmm. and all sides want that. It's a pity that some on both sides are so antagonistic to the other side. And partly that's why I set up the cannabis industry council, which has uh, people from that legacy market as members, and it has big business as members. And I hope, I hope I'm not being naive, but I hope that is a a force for drawing that expertise and that knowledge and that uh, aim together.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and, uh, again, Mike, on on that sort of, Education track. You you reference it earlier. We're always in kind of learning mode. You know, we we talk about this a lot on this show and and in other conversations. There's still so much to learn. We're we're kind of discovering new things all the time about plants and the endocannabinoid system and humans and the the, the effects yeah. across a number of different conditions. Is enough being done around education? The stigma falling away is kind of one track, but the other is you know, like you say, the prescribing mm. community of doctors. How are we addressing that? Are we doing enough? Is that going fast enough?
0: I would like to say, yes, it is. Um, the, the Medical Andalus Clinician Society, which is not the only teaching body, but of course it's the best, uh, it, it does. We have an online, I have to say that, don't Of course. Um, yeah, it, it, we have an online training where you can take the training at your own speed. We have a, a, f- a face-to-face training uh, once a month, and also we we'll alternate that with, um, with drug science as well. You know, that's open to any number of, and it's mainly a doctor's orientated because our, our focus is mainly on training clinicians. And I think there is enough training there. Some We get 10 to 15 new doctors every month on that training program.
1: That's quite a big uplift from that's, where that's, you were, isn't it?
0: it? Exactly, it is. And I've trained, again, I'm not the only trainer, but I've trained about 220 ish. Doctors now, and some what I'm very pleased about, didn't want to prescribe, but they wanted to learn, and that's absolutely fine. I don't want every doctor to be able to prescribe cannabis; that would be crazy. But I do want every doctor to offer a sensible and reasoned opinion to those who ask about it, rather than just dismiss it. And that only comes from education. I realise the the MCCS is clinician doctor particularly orientated, and the other side of the education we're probably not doing enough on now, which is education of the public.
1: I've seen I've seen sort of um, leaflets circulated from in schools to sort of parents of teenagers about edibles are you know uh, take your pick of any way to describe them in the worst possible way. So there is mm. there is that kind of you know terrifying parents um, with misinformation, yeah. Yeah. and get a, a, a lot of yeah. that needs to just yeah. kind of be ironed yeah. out.
2: My daughter um, actually had in her PSE at uh, PHSE uh, lesson of they they talked about drugs and she came home, and she said, Mummy, we talked about drugs today. I said, did, did they talk about cannabis? And she said, Yes. I said, Did they say it was a medicine? She said, Yes, they did. And I thought, well, oh, thank goodness, but they probably good. did because they knew that my daughter was yeah. in the room.
1: Fear the wrath. <laughs> they
2: the thought the they'd better. But they asked, I mean, I know that there's some PHSE lessons where they're talking about cannabis as being illegal and and, mm. and children have challenged teachers because their parents have have used cannabis or using cannabis medicinally and and that that needs to change as well the education of our children is is so important around this is and, and I think a lot of people don't even know that cannabis is legal yeah, as a medicine true, still in this country. Yeah. And so there is a lot of work to be done on the public. And yes. I just wanted to add the society are doing roadshows this year. We couldn't do anything due to the pandemic, yeah. but we are going out to medical schools all over the country this year to talk to medical students and to have patients at those events to talk um, about their, their conditions, their stories and how cannabis has helped. And so we're hoping that that will help as well if we can have sort of some face to face engagement as well.
1: I just wanted to move on for the second half of the show just to talk a little bit about um, Maple Tree and um, what you guys are doing through, um, through that company that you obviously um, reside within. And then I'd like to come on to just talking about some of the government stuff and the 10 recommendations paper that you guys put together. Hannah, do you want to just tell yes. us a little bit, bit more detail about MapleTree and its role in UK cannabis and who you're working with?
2: Oh, I can't tell you who you're working with. Oh, okay. State secrets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, just more of the role of of, of the organisation.
2: Yeah, so Mike and I started Maple Tree uh, back in 2019, basically because we wanted to continue working together we were both being asked um to consult with companies about the patient journey or about the, you know the clinical side about the sort of products that patients want about the regulations about importing products so, you know there's a huge amount of different reasons why companies will come to us and so we decided to work together because we've always gotten really well um and we thought it'd be more funding it together than apart so that was basically how maple tree was born mm. um, um, and we work with all sorts of companies. Sometimes just advice on the regulations. Sometimes to support importing products. We work with certain research companies that have research licenses in the UK, for example, who are looking at a broad, a broad sort of spectrum of advice about products, about patient access, about clinical work, that sort of thing. Um, working with universities, so we, d- we, d- it's very interesting work because we work in lots of different ways with companies you know depending on the sort of things that they need and sometimes their long term relationships sometimes their short term relationships we still do a lot of um you know interviews media when we can um training um of staff or clinic staff or you know things like that as well so yeah it's it's very varied and very enjoyable and last uh, year so it was the end of 2020 we decided to create the ten recommendations paper as sort of a a white paper for government to say, you know, if you think that this sector is a good thing, this is how you can make it work. Because I feel really concerned at the moment that the government are going to miss a trick with this sector, because at the moment we're seeing, you know, the development of GW Pharma, i.e., but you know, they're just buying that facility in Sittingbourne in Kent. I think they think, the government think that that's all we need. Um, to have a cannabis sector in this country, maybe just the, not. Just but... for the
1: listeners, can you just expand a bit on what that is? The GW. So
2: GW Pharmaceuticals have just bought a facility in Sittingbourne in Kent, which is a £100 million uh, purchase. And I, my concern is that the government will think that that will solve the issues of cannabis access in the UK, and it won't. Because mm. actually, one, because... I don't want to see a cartel. (laughs) I want to see an open market. I want to see products available from lots of different companies. I want to see choice. I want to see a patient focused sector. And the way you create a patient-focused focus sector is to give them choice mm. and they will go to the companies that give them the best service and the best products and the clinics that give them the best service and the best experience. Mm. And, and that's what I want to see, that there needs to be competition within this market. So yeah. the recommendations paper is about trying to communicate with government and saying, look, this sector is here. It could be a lot more valuable for your government and it could create XY amount of jobs, it could create this amount for the economy because I don't think they really understand it. They don't know enough about it. And and we decided to write this paper to try and help the government understand it. And mm. I've been working, as you know, for the last three years on patient access. We've been doing media around it. And we're not getting as far as we'd like. And so we felt that actually if government caught on onto the money that, that that could be made, that in turn that would benefit patients. And that's what I would I would hope will happen. Yeah.
1: So, should we should we just talk through some of the main points of, or the main mm. recommendations, and sort of where the insights came from behind them?
0: I'll start. Shall I? I mean, as Hannah said, the focus of the paper is actually not, surprisingly, perhaps, on the medical benefits of the cannabis industry. Because uh, perhaps I'm an old cynic, but I think politicians are attuned to that, or say they are. But I think what drives politicians more with economic benefits, particularly Mm -hmm. post-Brexit, post-COVID. We need new jobs in this country. We need a new industry in this country. We need tax income. And the cannabis industry is open for for grabs, if you like. Uh, Our best calculation, extrapolating from the experience in the States, was a proper cannabis. This is medical, not recreational. Uh, We create about 100,000 jobs. Now, that's good. That's good for those 100,000 people. It's good for income, tax, and everything else that goes with it. Um, and the corporation tax from the companies and from the income tax, all that regime. I mean, if you extrapolate from Oklahoma, which has 4 million people, their tax income now is about $500 million. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you multiply that up, sorry, 4 million, you multiply that up to the population of the UK, you, you get uh, conservatively about $500 million tax income for this country. Now, that's a lot. It will create more jobs in the UK fishing industry, for example. Mm. And I think that's what would, should, drive, should drive government to take this more seriously than they have.
1: Well, what, As, when, you, when you lay those numbers bare, it's, yeah. pretty, it's, it's it's so powerful. What's the problem then?
0: I don't think there will be a problem when government realises that. I think they've put cannabis in a little box to one side, and we've done our job for the, for the children and for, the, for the, we started the industry. Now it's up to the NHS and the doctors to get mm. on with it job done i don't think anyone in government has has thought through how you could develop a whole cannabis industry mm-hmm. yeah it's not a priority our main recommendation is actually to, to to create something like they have in holland for example an office of medicinal cannabis mm. where it, it crosses the government departments if you think about it at the moment all the licensing is home office mm. uh, there's the MRA doing its own thing it's the department of health doing its own thing there's the business department uh, there's a department of justice doing proceeds of crime acts. So it's, it, there's a amount of transport. We've got ridiculous laws about the level of THC in the blood for driving. There's lots of things that the government hasn't in any way coordinated itself. To, and what we need is a coordinating body That's they, we want this industry to develop. What can we do to facilitate that? And that's the whole driving force of this paper.
2: Yeah, and, they need, and and that would help to set standards. It would help to develop the sector... We need to accept the exceptionality of cannabis. It's not a single compound pharmaceutical. It can be pharmaceutically made and it can be a pharmaceutical product, but it is a botanical. So the evidence, for example, at the moment, we have a real stifling, a big block with NICE because NICE is saying, well, there's no randomised control evidence, therefore it's not safe. Actually, if we had an Office of Medical Cannabis and they could look at the evidence such as real-world evidence and observational data, there's a huge amount of, of evidence of safety. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we would be able to license products through that innovative pathway that the MHRA has set up, for example. But that needs to all be brought together. And I remember sitting in Matt Hancock's office um, in it was 2020, just before lockdown, saying, can we not sit around a table together and talk to each other? And he was just like, this isn't possible. And that's the thing. People don't realise in government, you think, well, it should be quite easy. They don't talk to each other. Even departments in the same government don't talk to each other. And that's the problem. We need to get everyone together. We need to get the government on on board. And I just don't think they see it as a priority. They, They see a few kids with epilepsy that need it. They don't understand the millions of people that could benefit. They don't understand the money that could be saved by the NHS if we introduce this. And I think it's our job as with this paper, with starting this lobbying project, to get into the policy office at number 10 and say, look, this is the sector, this is what could happen, these are the jobs it could create, this is the people it could help, this is the money it could save the NHS. And then I think we might get some traction on it. But that is going to take work, and you know that's something we started in the last four weeks. So we're right at the beginning of yeah. this lobbying project. So we're, we're hoping to take this over a year, and we'll hopefully you know see some movement
1: yeah just on the, you know obviously like there's a there's a lot and i'll probably i'll put the links to the report in the in the show notes on this but what's what's your perception of you've kind of alluded to a bit i guess they they feel the government i'm talking about they've, they've put cannabis in a box to the side obviously you know we've had take your pick from brexit from covid we've obviously got some atrocities going on in ukraine at the moment you know it's it's probably quite easy to just put it to one side and like you say they sort of feel oh well we've Past law, we've set an industry up, it's over to everyone else. Well, what's the perception of, of, of cannabis? I mean, I, I laugh about this a lot because of the psychedelics have kind of come behind cannabis. And obviously, it is easier to do some testing on that because it's not as complex as cannabis, what's going on with psychedelics. But there's obviously a movement happening with some of these uh, plant based medicines and drugs and all the rest of it. But what do they? Do you think they they want this? Does it, does they do they feel passionate about cannabis, or is it literally just like oh, it's just another thing we need to get to?
0: I don't think they've thought about it. Yeah, I, d- I don't think it's it's reached the sort of cognitive, cerebral level of the senior politicians. They got I realise in the last couple of years they got enough to do, <laughs> but nevertheless, if they think it through, and it's our job to think it through for them, they'll realise actually by doing this. You can create jobs, you can create income at a time when those things, two things are really needed for the country. I don't think it's a lack of... I don't think it's a, it's a negativism. I, some might say it is. I don't think it is. I think it's a lack of understanding, and a lack of knowledge, a lack of people coming to say, this is what you can do. Quite simply, some of our recommendations can be done just like that. They can be done by the Home Secretary today. So they don't, they're not major... It doesn't take major legislative change and time in the House It's easily done. But there's somebody got to go there, and that's our job at the moment, is to go there and say, take this seriously. Look what you can do, how much benefit you can bring, how much income you can bring if you take this seriously. Mm.
2: I think it's also, as well, we have to remember that governments care about votes. Mm. So they are going to prioritise things that they think will win them the next um, term in the House. And Mm. I think, again, that's something that we need to communicate that actually this does matter to people and I you know i I think there's some amazing MPs across parliament that support this but I have been saddened that there hasn't been a major political party that's took this on as actually needing to happen urgently and that's again something that we're working on is you know trying to make MPs really understand and senior MPs understand that this really does matter to many millions of people they're still uh, politicians are really scared of drugs they're really yeah. scared of drugs and they still put cannabis in that box with you know abuse and yeah. an illegal you know and that's again that's an education piece that's about talking about this is legal this is a medicine this is about pharmaceutically produced product this is about okay. clinicians involvement and it's about educating and them understanding that this is not about the slippery slope to what they might see as as liberal drug laws which sadly you know whatever you might think about it is going to be something that they'll switch off at
1: yeah um, you mentioned job creation, you know, obviously this is a, a big one for us. You know, we, we, we really hope to be able to bring jobs to many people. And again, I, I referenced that legacy market, Mike, you said it earlier and mm. I couldn't agree more that the knowledge that exists within our very sophisticated legacy market is so powerful, must be tapped into it. So I'm delighted to hear that, you know, you're obviously involving people in some of the stuff you're doing. Do, do you not think this is a something the government needs to also really be thinking about here because we're in a, you know, I'd hate to be someone that's coming out of school or uni now trying to get a job in this sort of post-pandemic era. It's, you know, really, really tough. So Absolutely. there's a whole new Absolutely. industry to be formed. Is that something which is exciting them or is it back to the same thing they're not thinking about? I it.
0: think I think they're not thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. And once we've made them realize that it's exciting, you can do real good for a lot of people. I think it would attract votes. Mm-hmm. So if you look at uh, the support in the community for <laughs> prescription cannabis, it's well into the 80 percentage. Even recreational. Again, we're not talking about recreational, but I've just mentioned it for the third time. Um, that's the fourth, uh, Mike. The Fourth, is it? Okay. And I think you know that's, sure, don't worry. that's that's you know finely balanced. You know, nearly half the population at the moment. Probably, if we voted now, it would be it would go down the New Zealand route of about forty-seven fifty-three against. Mm. But we're nearly there. So there's a lot mm. of willingness in the general public to take cannabis seriously. Yeah, and um, particularly for the medical purposes, and I think the government needs to switch into that. Mm. And the, once MPs realise that, then I think we will see a change. Mm. A and lot I think of there will be a lot of highly
2: skilled yeah. jobs as well. That's what we have exactly. to say. You know, yeah. these are highly skilled jobs, scientists. Yeah. Yes. You know, things like that. They're not going to be low-paid yeah. yeah. work. Exactly.
1: I mean, it's it's interesting when yeah. when I was doing our kind of um, initial sort of hiring plans, we've got everything in from. You know the sort of technical side of um, mm. science and and horticulture, through to engineers building digital products and services. Like you, you've got a real mix of stuff uh, across yeah. a, a whole range of different um, areas. So yes. it's super it's super exciting. And ju- j- just to flow out of that into a question, which I must ask, kind of, we've spoke about this a lot: lack of diversity in cannabis. You know, but take your pick of the stripe of diversity from gender to race to whatever. We have got this opportunity to to not import some of the inherent biases that exist in other industries. Um, we need to do more. Hannah, what, what do you, what do you think about that? You know, you often have talked to me about being uh, one of the only females in the room. <laughs> you often, we go to conferences. It's lots of white men in suits. Like we, we, surely cannabis should be one of the coolest industries out there where we're bringing, the, the plant doesn't discriminate. You know, I always say this yeah. on the show. It's old, young, black, white, red, green, blue. Doesn't matter what your persuasion is. You know, there's someone that's using cannabis for something around the world. Mm. We've got to Definitely. Do more, right? And
2: I think the diversity can be brought from, I mean, I feel very strongly about the patient side as well. We talk about the legacy market and the expertise there. But what about the patients and the expertise there? And I see a lot of companies coming through now. Who don't have a patient on their board or don't have a patient working group and don't actually probably really care what patients think. And I just think it's utter madness because actually, if you talk to patients and you engage with them and you build that trust and that confidence, they will love you and they will use your products and they will come back to you. And surely, as a business, if you want to create a market share that's enduring, you need to create that trust with the people that you serve. Um, And I don't see that enough. So that's something that i work on and mm-hmm. with the clients i have talked to them yeah. about a lot because i think it's really it's real really important to me but i agree i think you know we have got a new sector here and what's really encouraging for me is there's a lot of women that are coming through you know when i first started as you say at the beginning doing conferences i did feel like a lot of the time the only woman in the room but that's changing um Thank dr marla morkin started the uk women in cannabis group Uh, we meet regularly Um, we have a whatsapp group we've got lots and lots of members joining that all the time and that's really nice because it's been a really really supportive nice place where we share what we're doing and so we can sort of support each other on social media and we meet for a coffee now and again and that's really important and that's you know all sorts of women young old um from different backgrounds and you know that's wonderful and i'm really pleased to see that happening quite early on in this sector so Mm. We have got a real opportunity, I think, Mm. from the beginning to create a diverse sector. And I would like to see more women at board level in these businesses. And mm. again, that's not happening. Sadly, I think it's because I I, I might be wrong, but you're looking at a lot of people creating businesses because they're looking at cannabis as a commodity. So they're coming from backgrounds of financial institutions, hedge funds. Mm. Usually that is going to be a man. And they don't necessarily see the benefits of having a woman on the board. But what I would say on that as well is we need to remember that women make the decisions in the home, mostly mm. about everything, about the mm. things you buy, about your food shopping, about your children's health care, about your own health care. Women are the driving force behind that. So companies need to be creating products for women. Mm. And the women and, and if you look at the stats for America, women use cannabis more than men. Yeah. And that's what I don't understand. Again, the companies in the UK don't seem to quite grasp yet the benefits of having those women in their boards. And I think, you know, that will change. Um, it needs to change quicker. And and Mike, yeah. Mike's an honorary woman, so he'll back he backs <laughs> everything. <laughs> <There>
1: you go. <laughs> but well, no, we, it's it's we, the exclusive people.
2: Yeah, yeah. We t- we talk we talk a lot to companies about that diversity and the importance of having mm. you know having women, female leaders, especially yeah. in in the board and making those yeah. decisions. They're really important.
1: Oh, I'm yeah. I'm really grateful yeah. for you saying that, Hannah, because I, I couldn't agree with you more. A couple of quick fire ones then to wrap it up because I, I know we've yeah. we've got a, a time box here.
0: So um, what what excites you right now about cannabis? The main thing that excites me is what we've been talking about. It's here. People can get it legally and they don't have to be worried about the police knocking on the door any longer. That's what excites me. And I'm continually excited. Take the Drug Science 2021 program. We've got over two and a half thousand people on there now. And those are producing statistics that show to anyone's possible agreement that this works and people's lives are changed by it. Not everybody. It's not safe for everyone, it doesn't work for everyone let 's be sensible about it, but it really works and, and and i love working in this sector because it it can bring a really good, decent, safe medicine to many many people who otherwise wouldn 't wouldn 't get any sort of medicine they 've mm. run the end of the line of licensed mm. medications and they 're suffering with pain or anxiety or epilepsy or whatever it is and that 's what excites me in this in this field mm. and i 've got to keep working in it till it 's available and then its free and then I can finally. <laughs> finally retire I'll be about mm-hmm. 90 you're not allowed
2: to retire until I say you can there you go. <laughs> and I would just echo that what excites me is I went from taking my child into hospital having 150 seizures a week and now I don't and now he That's goes to school amazing. every day and is a happy child who's looking forward to going on holiday with us for Easter you know yeah. we never could do anything like that and I use my voice and every day to try and help families like mine. And that's what excites me is that this medicine could get, you know, it's full-time carers are usually always mum. You know, I, like, I really care about the social impact of not providing this medicine. And it excites me to think that if this medicine is available to mums like me, we're going to get mums back to work. We're going to get them out with their friends. We're going to get them spending money in restaurants mm. and going out with their partners and having a better quality of life. Because having a chronically ill child is the worst thing mm. that I have ever experienced, that many families ever experienced. And actually, if we can do something with this medicine and change people's lives like that, then that really excites me.
1: Amazing, amazing stuff, and then lastly, or second lastly, maybe, what frustrates you? I bet I can. I don't need a crystal ball to like work that one out, but speed, I'm guessing.
0: Doctors, they frustrate me. (laughs) I mean, they really do. I mean, if you just put the, the, uh, you've started me off on a rant, Charlie. Perhaps I was deliberate, Uh, but you know, I'm going to best way to finish the show, Mike. Okay, I'm going to rant on. I mean, if you look at the intellectually, how can they not agree to prescribe this? let take the child. I know it's the emotive one, but it's the same for pain. They've come to the end of the line with licensed medication, including Epidiolex, which is a perfectly good licensed medication. I would absolutely say use that first. Nothing else has worked. And you've got cannabis that might work. It might not, but it might work and it's safe. Yet still, they say, oh, we can't use it. You know, I, and I just find that... I, f- I find it immoral. I find it intellectually bereft. And I just find that immensely frustrating that they will refuse to embrace it despite in- immense evidence that it's helpful, not the evidence they like, pharmaceutical type, double blind, placebo controlled evidence, but they just won't accept it for, for whatever reason you can analyze the reason. You need to get them on the program. If you could ever manage that, get Alistair Park on the program and ask him why he leads the bpna in such a sort of tirade against cannabis mm. that'd be interesting because i don't think he could justify it yeah so that frustrates me It rant over
2: <laughs> and i think what frustrates me is the speed of things um also what frustrates me is i don't have enough time to do everything i want to do because mike and i talk about this often we have wonderful ideas of all the things we could do to help people and we don't have enough time in the day to do that so we're, mm. we have to try and focus on what we can do how we can help and sometimes I just wish I could do more and that frustrates yeah. me but I, I just keep going and trying my best yeah. but I am frustrated by the lack of engagement from government. I'm also sometimes frustrated about the ups and downs within the sector there is some one-upmanship Sometimes with who who's you know most important, who did this, who did that. I I really find that difficult because mm. actually uh, the Peter Carroll, who we work with at Maple Tree and, and also runs End Our Pain, said to me once, and I will never forget it. And he's so right that what governments love best is campaigns that fall out, and it's mm. so true. Yeah. If you spend all your time squabbling with each other about who's going to do what and who's right, you don't get anything done, and that frustrates me. Yeah. And so what I try to do with that is rise above it Good and thing. do what I can do to help and ignore yeah. the noise because yep. that's a lot of what it is. A noise. <laughs> noise. There's, not. There there's is. a lot of noise. There's <laughs> a lot of noise.
0: Most people are pulling together, but there's a few yeah. disruptors who are out for their own gain. Mm. I, we always thought we should have the Maple Tree Cannabis Dick of the Year Awards. <laughs> <laughs> no. I hope I never win it. You know. No. Okay. Like the, what do they call those? Those anti-Oscars, the Razzle Awards or something? Yeah, right? yeah.
2: The Raspberries. Yeah. Yeah. Raspberries. That's. Yeah.
0: that's it. So I think we're Razzle thing different, Mike. Oh, oh, I was it. Oh. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can tell me afterwards. I've uh, put my foot in it again. It's right. um Raspberries, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well can't... anyway, sorry, I digress, but that's a that's a thought. Well, I well, think the GLO should sponsor the Big of the Year award.
1: Well, I think we we are we're, we're well in we're well in the race for that one. So f- final question to you both. I'll come to Hannah first. So um what are your hopes for the future? Exciting developments this year. What what do you think is gonna happen or what would you like to see happen?
2: Well, I'm hoping that this year will be about the government accepting this sector, about I mean, it's really exciting, as I'm sure you saw, that Channel 4 um, invested in Canaray recently. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. I think it's going to become mainstream. We're going to work really hard on that this year about getting medical cannabis to be a legitimate sector in the eyes of the government. And I think if we can get the government on board, it will change patient access. And that's what I'd like to see over the next sort of year to 18 months is that's really changing and of course, keeping, you know, the patients that are prescribed safe and the ones that need prescriptions, getting them access. And Mike and I are working all the time trying to get pediatricians trained and, and, and on board. That's really difficult, but we're trying really hard to do that. And just to overcome, you know, the issues that we've been trying to overcome for the last few years. And we will keep going. You know, it has been slow, it has been frustrating. It's very difficult for families that are involved that are trying to raise money all the time to keep their children safe. Um, and I just hope this year that with the work we're doing on the lobbying side that we will see progress, and and yep. we'll we'll keep, as Mike said, we'll keep going until we do.
1: Mike, echo that? Something different?
0: No, I totally echo that. I Good. totally echo that. Okay. Um, we've got to keep going. It will yeah. improve. It will improve. Uh, we just need to try and keep on pushing, and we will get there.
1: Well as always for both of you thank you so much for all the work you're doing in the space from what you've done before what you continue to do today and tomorrow we all really appreciate it there's a hell of a lot of work for all of us to do myself included i've got to go and talk to the guys about sponsoring dick of the year award <laughs> um, and, and all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for giving me some time to have a really great conversation today mike and hannah
2: right. thank you thank Charlie. You, Charlie. thank you
1: Wow. So how can you not be inspired by those two? So much positive energy, so much drive to keep fighting day by day, week by week on behalf of so many that uh, we're trying to improve access for. Um, I find it um, a true inspiration talking to both of them. And let's hope we really do start to see some more meaningful, bigger changes as these cracks in the dam continue to appear. You know, we want the dam to be completely vanishing uh, in the not too distant. There's still a lot of work to be done, but uh, I think with uh, Hannah and Mike fighting the good fight and the rest of us trying to pile in behind them, if we all keep pushing, hopefully we will get the change that we're all looking for uh, and the industry can really start to deliver for those that need it the most. Next week, we're going to keep rolling with the UK Focus with Dr. Leon Baron. So I hope you'll all join me for that one. But in the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and I will see you in the future.
0: The Glow Show. We believe in the power of cannabis.